Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. You can't just communicate when you want to communicate. You have to have a consistent schedule of communication. So we often will do quarterly or um, semi-annual meetings with companies where they bring together employees and they, they work with them to kind of do like a brainstorming and sharing. Um, so consistency. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 128. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Cynthia Kay. Cynthia is the founder of Cynthia Kay and Company, an award-winning media production company, an author, speaker, and an expert in small business leadership. That expertise comes from over three decades of building her own company. As a business leader and a trailblazer among women keynote speakers, her success has been widely recognized. Cynthia works with current and aspiring business leaders across sectors, industries, or growth stages to help them achieve their goals. She is the past chair of the National Small Business Association. Cynthia, so glad to have you on the show today. Well, I am so excited to be here. I've been listening to some of your episodes, and um, frankly, I am just uh, delighted that you wanted to chat with me. Oh, my pleasure. And you have a lot to talk about. I know the leadership piece is something we'll dive into. Uh, love the fact that you're helping others, which is something that I try to do as well. So why don't we take a step back for a minute? Your bio was great, but it only tells so much. Why don't you uh, take a minute to describe what it is that you do for your clients and how did you get started in all of this? You know, it's so interesting because I think when you're young, you have a vision of what it is that you are going to do. And um, in my case, I was going to be a singer. Mm. I was going to get a degree in music and I was going to sing for my supper. Um, and while I still love singing and I have a degree in music, along the way, I got a little sidetracked and I started to develop an interest in um, in media, in TV and radio. And so along about my sophomore year in college, I got a double major in television and radio. And then when I had to choose between music and television, I went the television route and um, and I loved it. I learned a lot about it, but I discovered it wasn't my true passion. And so after about 13 and a half years of working in broadcasting, I did what a lot of people do, which is I decided to bet on myself and I opened a media production company. And today we are 35 plus years, which in my industry is quite a long tenure. I would imagine. I would imagine. And so what is it that you do for your clients today? So we often, um, I, I like to describe us as the communication arm, the back shop of, of companies. And we work with large global giants, um, Siemens Industries, Cisco Technologies, Underwriters Laboratory. Uh, but we also work with very forward-thinking small businesses and nonprofits. And we become the people that tell their story. And that story could be told through video, through graphics, through animations. But we have a whole capability where 
kind of you can think of us as a little mini TV station and design agency. And we create the things that people use to sell their products, recruit people to them, um, really do anything in that communication realm, which is why communications to me is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I'd like to pick up on, I mean, there's a lot there to, to really analyze, but I want to focus on one piece if I may. And sure. that's the story, the storytelling aspect. <clears throat> I don't think, you know, I often share this on, on, uh, on my podcast and other places as well. I, I moved into my current work as a performance and leadership coach from the backdrop or the experience, if you will, of education and school leadership. And so when I was in that role, even though I might have been coaching quite a bit and honing those kinds of skills, there are many, many skills that I barely developed at all because I didn't see it as being necessary. And so I had very little social media presence at the time um, that I transitioned. I, I had not really focused on self-promotion outside of the articles that I write and things of that nature. And so one of those pieces that was, I guess you'd say, insightful for me or something that I had not really thought about was this need to be able to tell a story, was this need to be able to talk about where I was in the past and the failures that I experienced and how that helped me to become a better coach today and and, and a better, a better uh, professional and confidant and whatnot. And I, I'm not sure that I still do a great job with it, mm -hmm. but I know that I know that it's necessary, but I'm not sure that a lot of people are, or most people, I would say, really understand that well. And I'm curious to know what, what, when businesses start working with you, number one, how ready do you find them to be to get into uh, the concept of storytelling? And what advice would you have for, for our listeners who either haven't heard of it or aren't so familiar with it, or maybe a bit skeptical and wonder why is that necessary? I just want to show up and say, this is what I can do. Why is that storytelling piece so critical? You know, that's a, that is a really interesting question. And it's one, probably one of the best ones I've gotten. Um, so here's what's interesting. Take yourself back to when you were a child and think about the stories and then, you know, not just the typical ones, but even the stories that your parents or your grandparents told you, or think about the stories that you learned um, when you went to a preschool or that your neighbors told you or that your priest or your rabbi told you or someone told you. We learn through stories. You can tell someone about a concept um, in the business world, productivity. But when you tell a story about how someone achieved great productivity, people remember it. So when people say, why is it important? I say, well, for one thing, a story helps make something real and makes people remember that. And so it's a wonderful technique. It also creates, I think, in people's minds, their own stories about, oh, I did this. I had a fascinating um, um, thing happen yesterday. I was, I was teaching a session and I asked people to tell me one interesting fact about themselves. And I was amazed at how many people said, I'm not very interesting or, oh gosh, I, I, I really can't think of anything. And so when you say how prepared are people, I'd say most people are not prepared. And yeah. to some degree that, that may be the way we've been educated, you know, don't brag, 
Don't don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about what you do. Um, but I think there, that we need to maybe change that that, that focus because you're not bragging. You're you're sharing a story that will help someone else. Yeah, and it's almost we we feel like it's um, maybe maybe people engage in self deprecating yes. mindsets of like I'm not really worthy and all of that. Yeah. Um, but let's take it a little bit further because yeah, I mean, I think people are not necessarily ready for it. And yes, we do learn better with stories, but let's, let's not, let, let's talk about what would often feel like a faceless enterprise. So you mentioned some corporations, for example, yeah, corporations. Or even some businesses, right? So businesses may be small businesses might be easier because there's often a mom and pop, so to speak, associated mm -hmm. with it, you know, uh, um, family name X's bagels or auto repair or whatever. Um, but once you're dealing with faceless, larger enterprises, and they have to go through the process of telling a story, how do you guide them mm -hmm. through that process? And how do you um, ensure that they, that they achieve what I would think of as relatability and mm -hmm. the ability to say that as a result of that story, I want to be part of the journey together with them, as opposed to, let's say, their competition. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times corporations and, and large entities believe that those who are in the leadership role are the ones who are best positioned to tell the story. And what I have found is that the best storytellers are the individuals who are on the front lines in the call center or on the factory floor or out meeting with the customer. And so usually when I'm working with someone, we sit down and we talk about, you know, what are those key things that really make your organization different? And who are the people who embody and make those things come alive? And often what they'll say to me is, is oh, well, you know, that, that might be Joe who's on the factory floor, but he's not really a very good speaker. And I'll go, you'd be surprised. Because often when I talk to those people, and that's part of the process, we'll do a pre-screening, I will find that Joe is so excited about what he does and the care that he puts into creating that product. And so when we see those things and when I show companies that, what they come to understand is that really the people make the difference and that connection of people is important. And then we step in and do what I think we do best, which is we help people tell that story. We make people feel comfortable on camera. We help them, you know, articulate those key messages. Um, and, you know, I often love to say um, anybody can go buy the equipment. You can go buy the cameras, the microphones, all the stuff. Where the real magic happens is when you get a person, a producer, myself, one of my people, who loves to talk to people and draw those stories out, that's where the real magic happens. Beautiful. So I actually want to ask you a question pertaining to that because um, we I, I feel like we've been talking mainly about, let's call it outward bound communication and, and messaging and storytelling mm -hmm. to customers and the community at large. But I feel like there's often, especially at the larger enterprises, you need to be able to tell stories internally as well, right? Because we know that what people are motivated by goes beyond income, although that's important. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they have to feel like they are being valued. They have to feel like there's congruency between their yeah. skill set and the work that they do. But I think they also want to feel like they're part of something bigger. 
And so John Deere is, is famous for bringing their executives and others out to the fields to see the yes. tractors in use, to see the farmers um, engaging with it, and to feel like we're putting all this effort in for something. We're, we're changing the world in a positive way yes. as a result of the machinery that we're creating. So what is your process to ensure that companies don't lose sight of the fact that that messaging needs to go within as well as without? And what do you recommend to the executives and to others within these organizations to ensure that the right people are, you know, like what is the process that you recommend to make sure whether, you know, it could be a, a quarterly meeting, could be an annual meeting, it could yeah. be a memo. What is your, what is your process there? Well, um, to begin with, I'm going to tell you people don't read. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, if I could buy my cell phone, I, you know, we're all used to that little device. We're always on that. So uh, one of the things that I think is really critical, first of all, is consistency and communication. Um, you can't just communicate when you want to communicate. You have to have a consistent schedule of communication. So we often will do quarterly or um, semi-annual meetings with companies where they bring together employees and they, they work with them to kind of do like a brainstorming and sharing. Um, so consistency. And I think that is very different for different organizations. So if you take a company like mine, we're a power packed group of 10, right? We're communicating all the time. But when you start to get into those upper ranges, you have to have systems, processes, and schedules in place. And so we really work with people to help design what's best for them. Because, you know, you, you might say, you know, quarterly, but maybe, maybe it needs to be more than that, or maybe it needs to be less than that. So I think we, we try to sit down and do a fact finding with people and really find what's the sweet spot of, of what is going to work well for them. Then what we do is, is we look at what are the vehicles, because you can't just say, oh, it's a CEO, um, you know, communication, or it's a, I mean, we've actually produced podcasts for employees, because for some people, uh, for customers, because for some people, their employees are all over the country, they're in cars, they're on planes. Okay, you have to look at what is going to be the, the vehicle that is going to make it most convenient for them right, to be able to access the information. Not everybody's sitting at their desk. So we look at what are those vehicles. And then what we will try and do is you have to have somebody own it, especially in large companies. Um, if somebody doesn't have a passion for it, they'll do it for a little and then it goes away. So you have to have somebody who really loves it. And in, and in some cases, it, it's not one. It might be a group of what we might call communication champions that we train and we help them understand what the focus is and how are they gonna help. Um, and then it's producing the vehicle or the deliverables, whatever that is. It, um, and I always recommend that it's more than one kind of communication. So if, for example, it's a podcast, you want a transcript. If it's a video, you might wanna print with just the, the facts on it. Um, it's not a one size fits all. Communication is very tricky. But what I will say is, if somebody doesn't get started, it never happens. Because it's yeah. one of those things that people kind of push to the side and say, uh, you know, it, 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 oh, I love people who go, we have great communication. And then you talk to the actual people and they go, we never hear from anyone. So there's a perception difference there.
Yeah, uh, so much to unpack there as well. But I don't want to make this all about communication, though we easily <laughs> could. And um, and so I'd like to hear a little bit more when you when you're consulting and advising business business leaders. Uh, you know, I have a mastermind group as well. We actually just met yesterday and we talked about we did a SWOT analysis with a with a look towards 2024 and 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 how each of us individually can leverage what we're good at and be aware of what we're not so good at so that yeah. we can have a more robust year. And I, I think the economy is very much on people's minds. I think there's a lot of concern right now, inflation obviously and whatnot. So oh. I'm curious this isn't necessarily a beginning of 2024 question, though it certainly is very relevant to now. But in general, when you're working with your clients and specifically those smaller businesses, what challenges, actual or mental, emotional, um, are you finding that are most holding people back from mm -hmm. taking the next step, from growing their businesses, from doing things differently, from delegating more, delegating more, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, smaller entities um, have some huge advantages. They also have some huge disadvantages. And I will tell you that one of the big bottlenecks that I see, and I have tried so hard not to do this in my own organization, is we become dependent upon the founder, the visionary, the leader, to fuel the organization. Um, you know, you've often heard the saying about small business owners wear lots of hats, right? You know, they, they do everything. Yeah. What I find as a, a big issue is they become the bottleneck. And, and part of that is because they, well, I started the business, I grew the business, it's kind of my baby, but you know what I've learned? What I've learned is the business is not me. The business, needs to be able to, as I like to say, go on if I get hit by a bus. And what that means is, is that I have to elevate all of the people around me. And I think some people are afraid to do that because they are afraid of becoming irrelevant. They, they think that if I don't have control of everything, what I love to do and what I teach, not just my direct staff, but I teach them to help the new people coming in, is I say to them, if you if you can literally pour everything you know into that person you're working with, your colleague, that means you get to go do something new and more interesting. And so having that consistent um, understanding that you can't do it all, I mean, you can, but you won't do it all very well. I think that's one of the challenges that, that small business owners specifically have. I also think that they don't think big enough. I really do. I don't think they dream big enough dreams. When I started and I started with small local customers, I said, someday I'm going to work for global giants. That was my dream. And people laughed. They were like, really? You're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. How are you going to make that happen? And, and I made it happen. I did it. But I focused on it and I put systems in place and I put myself in places where I could meet those people. So you can't be afraid to dream big and then maybe take some risks. I mean, and, and everyone's level of risk tolerance is very different. I, I don't want to say to people who want to keep an organization small, don't do that. But I also want to say, understand that that's a lifestyle business. If you're growing a bigger business, that's a, it's a whole different thing. So you kind of have to know what you're doing. 
And then I think the last challenge I believe for business owners is to know when to get out of the way, when it's time for you to step out and to move on to your next adventure. Nice. So I, I do want to ask one follow-up question, then I got to yeah. get into some other areas, which I know you'll have a lot to say on as well. And that is this piece about thinking big. Yes. So it's all fine and good. You know, Cynthia Kay had this vision for herself and we, we all like stories that end well. And of course it, it's easy to <laughs> sure. think backwards and say, well, 30 years ago, whatever it was, you know, um, I had this vision and I made it happen. But for most people, they're in the front end, so to speak, of that process, not on the back end with like mm -hmm. you're like looking back. So what advice would you give to someone? How big is the right big? You know, sometimes big is too big. Um, yeah. The right big, both in terms of what's realistic, but also in terms of making sure that people don't get discouraged because they grab or they try to grab it so much or they have such a lofty goal yeah. that they're not seeing traction. Next thing you know, that they they really don't believe that they have the ability to go further. Okay, so before, um, once once you decide that's what you wanna do, you wanna think big, um, there are two or three things that you need to do. For one thing, you've gotta build the infrastructure in your business because you can get that chance with that big customer or that big opportunity, but if you can't deliver, you're done. So a lot of times people will you know, think, oh, I need a big social media campaign or I'm gonna go out there, great. Well, what have you done inside first to be sure that you have the systems in place? Have you hired the right people? Do you have the technology infrastructure in place, right? Have, are you really clear about who your ideal customer is and what you're going to need to do? What are you willing to do when that opportunity comes to you and you have to ramp up quickly? Got to get that in place first. Um, I think sometimes people want to jump right ahead to the opportunity. Um, that's great. But you have to do those things. I had slow and what I would call steady growth for a lot of years. I spent a lot of time making sure I had the right people, uh, making sure that the capabilities that we built were good. So when we got that opportunity, we were able to do it. So I, I think that that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, is that you have to really invest. So um, invest in your people invest in your training, understand that if you don't train them well, everything will fall back on you. So I paid for training for people to go and get trained on communications and broadcast systems. And, you know, and we consistently do that. So making sure you have that. But then I think the other thing is, is that, and this is where people, you know, they, they think it's so easy to network and to get to know people. No, you have to really want to get to know people and understand them. And so I go to conferences, I speak, I've written books that uh, that have opened doors for me. Um, I've gone and, you know, lectured to schools. I mean, I, you know, it's, you really have to put yourself out there. I think it's different for every organization and type of business, right? Um, but mastermind groups, you mentioned that. I, that's a fabulous way to make connections with people. Um, I'm part of a group right now called the Human Gathering, where um, these are people I would never have met if I had not joined this group. And, I, and, and it's not all about business, right? It's not about me making a connection with someone and selling them something. It's about truly understanding and 
educating yourself and then those connections pay off. And, and you know what? Sometimes they don't and that's okay too. You're planting you. seeds. So let's stay with one thing you just talked about, which is speaking, public speaking, mm -hmm. which is a fear for many, many people. Yes. And you have a lot of experience in that area. So what would you say are a couple of things to help people feel more comfortable? Obviously, we're not doing a Toastmaster session no. right now, no. but you get the idea. Um, a few a few things make people a little bit more at ease, maybe some baby steps they could take Absolutely. to help them get to a point where they're comfortable. Okay, well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is, is that anyone who tries to change a, your style of communicating is not doing you a favor. They are doing you a disservice. The way I speak and the way I communicate is not the way someone else is. So you have to look at yourself. Some people are very introverted. That doesn't mean they can't be great speakers. So recognize what your style is. That's the first thing. I think... Um, where, where people become uncomfortable is when they are asked to speak about things where they don't have great expertise. You should never speak or put yourself in front of an audience if you don't truly have the credentials and the expertise. So understanding what's your lane, what content do you have? Then I spend a lot of time when I teach presentation skills, not just on the getting up, but on the, how do you actually prepare the content? Because there is a way to prepare content so it makes sense in your brain, right? And then it's easier. So getting really good content. And then to your point, baby steps. Um, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you my horror story. I started in broadcasting and the first day I got there, the woman who was supposed to train me decided they had hired the replacement and left. And I did live television on the very first day. I don't recommend that to people, but yeah. baby steps, speak in front of a small group, go talk to your church group, go talk to your, uh, your local, you know, service organization, volunteer to introduce someone at a company meeting. Don't go for the big right away because you learn those baby steps. And, and frankly, I would tell you getting some coaching, um, confidence comes from ability. Ability comes from doing it. And having a coach help you figure out how to do it, 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 yeah. it, it works. Nice. So you've been a talk show host, like you've mentioned multiple times. You were a reporter as well. Um, instead of asking about communication tips from those areas, I'm going to ask you what leadership lessons oh. did you extract from those that could be relevant uh, to others? Yeah. Well, um, for one thing, I think the biggest leadership lesson that I takeaway is you have to be your authentic self. And I hate that word because people throw it around, but you have to be who you are. Um, and you have to consistently understand that if you want to motivate people, you have to be willing to do what you ask them to do. So every job that people in my organization do, I have done. So I understand the challenges. I understand what the fun is. I understand, you know, where the mistakes can happen. So I think a leadership lesson um, is to, for people to really go down and, and walk the floor and understand what all the different people do. I think the other leadership lesson that I have learned is um, that I do not know everything. 
And I have an amazing group of other business owners and people that when I get stuck, I will reach out. I ask for help a lot. I am not afraid to ask for help. I, I don't feel, I can't know everything. No one can. But where I see people get into trouble is when they just go kind of put themselves in a room and make decisions. So asking for help. And then I guess the, the last thing is, is being willing to take the responsibility of making a decision. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. And if you're right, you're right. If you're right, great. If you're wrong, change it. Okay, so let's talk about being wrong. And this is my final question for, for this segment. It's a question I ask my guests all the time. And, and, and that is, what is the biggest mistake you have made along this incredible journey of yours? And, and how did it help you to become who you are today? Yeah. Well, I think one of the, the lessons that I have learned is um, I stayed too long in a job that I did not care for. I should have left my broadcasting job and I, I was I, I was successful. So, you know, you, I should have stepped out and I knew I wanted to own my own business. I should have done it sooner. I wish I had done it sooner. And so I encourage people, take the leap. What's the worst that can happen? Um, you fail. But I, I think sometimes um, the, the biggest thing I've learned is don't procrastinate. Go do nice. that thing. Okay. Yeah, I think... Uh... It's interesting, and I'll, I'll add one comment, and then <clears throat> then we'll transition. And that is, I had observed. I, I mentioned before that I transitioned out of school leadership into uh, the world of coaching. And in my particular community, the Orthodox Jewish community is a relatively small one, especially for their own independent school system. Mm -hmm. So it isn't as if you leave one position and you have an abundance of alternative uh, yes. options at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Typically speaking, there's just a, a select few on any given year, depending, of course, on a, a lot of variables, location, et cetera. <clears throat> and so I had options and I almost pursued options to stay within administrative <clears throat> school administration, but I decided to take that leap. And I noticed that most of the people who were in the ed educational coaching consulting realms were retirees or people who had been forced out a little bit earlier than they would have liked to be, let's say in their mid fifties or so. And so they were spending the last 10 plus years of their active career doing this kind of work. But um, I felt like I could make it happen sooner. Yeah. And so about a decade and a half before most other people, again, it's just an estimate of when people wind up in this type of role, I took a bet on myself much sooner. And I said to myself, I could always find a principal job the next year if need be, mm -hmm. but I wanted to give this a go. And thankfully it hasn't been immediate, but it has been consistently better year over year. And I'm in such a better place than I was when I started. And all of that is because of that belief, of course, support for my wife and, and whatnot, but, but working at it, getting better at it, continually developing a reputation and being someone who over time becomes more sought after for those reasons. Um, so with that, Let's transition to the rapid fire. Short, quick responses on some interesting questions. <laughs> so let's go. I see if these are, are are curious to you. The coolest stage that you've ever spoken from. Oh, the coolest stage. Uh, well, I testified before the uh, Small Business Committee of Congress. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. What'd you testify about? Uh, the state of small business and the challenges that we face. Got it. 
Got it. Okay, we should bring them on the podcast too. All right, <laughs> Michigan should be better known for its blank. Oh, Greek food. I was going to say blueberries, but okay, Greek food yeah. will go. Blueberries All right. works too. I used to go. I used to live in Chicago, so we used to go to Sawyer and, oh, yes. uh, and do our blueberry picking every 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 summer. Three things we should all do bef before starting our workday. Oh, prayer, meditate, exercise, and write down two or three things that you're going to do that day. Okay, awesome. A quote that you reference or think about often. Hmm. It is a quote from my dad. Do what's in your heart. Love it. Short and sweet and from a very, very touching place. Uh, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. I schedule time every single day on my calendar to just plan what I'm going to do the next day. I, I actually just added that to my calendar oh. for, I guess, perpetuity for now. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Recurring. <Awesome. laughs> Recurring. Recurring. That's exactly right. So. Um, Cynthia, it's been a fantastic conversation. How can people connect with you, learn more about your work and take advantage of all it is that you and your team have to offer? Oh, that is so sweet. Um, well, obviously my website, thinkck.com, uh, but for consulting work, CynthiaKbiz.com. And I'm going to put in a quick plug. Um, I have a book coming out May 8th. Um, it's actually on Amazon right now. Small business, big success how to beat the odds and grow a great business. So um, I think there's lots of the things that we talked about that are in that book. Awesome. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you, you've shared a lot, but um, I get, as I say, Yiddish, a little schnurrish sometimes. I'd like to grab just a little bit more. And so my question to you is, can you kindly leave us please with one final life lesson? Hmm. Um, can I have two? Maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first lesson is a, a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. I won't get it exactly right, but it, it says you must do the thing you are most afraid to do. The thing you fear the most is what you must do. Uh, but the other one that I love is a sign that I have hanging in my office that says, do more of what makes you happy. Can't go wrong with that. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. Stay warm oh, up there pleasure. in Michigan. And um, we will definitely be in touch. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom with my listeners and uh, much continued success, really. In everything Thanks, and I appreciate your time. All the best now. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 